Hey everybody, uh, I'm Pastor Matt. If you don't know who I am, one of the elders here at Living Hope Church. Kids, I'm glad you're here at Summit Grove with us. But I'm also glad that you are with us here in service. Uh, it's always a joy to be here at Summit Grove. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8 as we continue our series on making disciples. Uh, forgive me, I'm going to say I was in charge of bulletins this week, of folding them, and we printed them, we edited them, they looked beautiful, trust me, they are on my dining room table, I ask forgiveness. So you're really going to have to listen this week, um, but uh, it, our, the title of our, our sermon today is The Journey of Discipleship. Reason being is we're going to look at three different stories or interactions that Jesus has that really kind of talk about a different um, area of progression in becoming a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. We'll t- first of all, take a look at a man who's born blind, and, 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 or he, he is blind and he's healed, and how that's kind of a, a picture of what it is to follow. Uh, Jesus has an interaction with Peter who makes an amazing confession, then stumbles a little bit along the way. And then we'll talk uh, about how Jesus speaks to both his disciples and the crowds, a bunch of would-be followers, potential followers of Christ, where Jesus really wants to make everyone aware of what it really costs to follow Jesus. And so we, we, we're going to talk about these things today because uh, following Christ is, is often not nice and clean and easy. Most people don't hear the gospel, hear the good news of Jesus one time say, oh, I fully understand that, I agree with it, you know what, I believe that, I confess Christ as Lord, and today I'm going to start following him with my life. If only it were so easy, if only it were so cut and dry. Um, But for those of you who have been following our Stepping Stones podcast, it is often a journey. Uh, It it takes a while for some people to get there. In my own life, uh, I I grew up in a Christian home like like many of you, uh, and I learned uh, as as a good Lutheran uh, when I was young that I learned a healthy respect for God. And so I remember being in church, and we would you know, sing the hymns, and there was, a, there was a big pipe organ in the back, too. Like, it was impressive. That was our instrument. And, uh, and like, I would want to sit down, because I was, like, eight, and my dad's like, son, unless your legs are broke, you stand when we sing. You know, like, I was like, oh, okay. My dad was intimidating. He still is. You know, um, but yeah, I respected God when I was a kid. I, yeah, you, you, I, I, I had a healthy fear of God. But I think it took a while for me to actually understand who Jesus is and to love him and to give my life to him and to to walk as a disciple. For some of you, it may be the same thing. So we're going to take a look at these stories today. uh, And if you'll follow along with me, we're going to start in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. It says, And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him. And he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I I see people, but they look like trees walking. So Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. 
And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory with his Father and with the holy angels. This is the word of God. So we look at several stories here today, the first of which is Jesus healing this blind man. He's on his way to Bethsaida, it's along the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and as they're there, a group of men or a group of people, probably this man's family or friends, they're leading this blind man to Jesus. So Jesus obviously has a reputation for being a healer, and they're begging him, Jesus, would you touch this man? Would you heal him? Now Jesus is in this area, but he wants to go away from the crowd, so he takes this man by the hand, and he leads him out of the village. Partly because at this time, he, he doesn't want all the crowds to know fully who he is yet, because he's still focusing on his disciples, his apostles. They are the ones who are going to carry his name forward after he's gone. They are the ones that are going to tell the world who he really is. So they actually get access. They're the ones who go with him. They're going to see and witness Jesus healing this man. They get to see these, these hidden miracles and, and hear his teachings that maybe the crowds don't just yet. So he's protecting his identity. He leads this man out, and he does something really interesting, as, as we've seen a couple times in Mark. He spits on the man's eyes. Now, kids, usually if you go to the doctor and, the, and you're, you're going to an ophthalmologist or an eye doctor and they spit in your eyes, they're doing something wrong, Okay. That's not how they do things anymore. But Jesus, in this way, he, he spits in the man's eyes. He lays his hands on him, probably on his, on his face. And he says, you know, do you see anything? The man's like, well, well, kind of. And I, and I can, you know, sympathize. I, I wear contacts right now. I usually wear glasses. I cannot read anything. I cannot, I actually, I cannot drive. I can't see things. Uh, it, it's, it's terrible without, without my corrective lenses on. So this man's like, I'm, I'm halfway there. I have Pastor Matt's level of vision, right? And so Jesus says, okay, and he puts his hands on him again, and, he, and, he, and then when he removes them, the man can see fully and clearly. And Jesus says, don't, don't go back to the village. He still doesn't want this man to go back and tell him what he's done, yet still keeping it secret. I think the most, I mean, this most interesting thing about this story, because we've seen Jesus heal people already multiple times, 
in the Gospel of Mark. The most interesting thing is, why did it take two attempts? You notice that? I mean, why, why did Jesus, you know, not, why was he not able to heal him the first time? What's, what's going on here? Well, there's a few things I think we can rule out. I think we can rule out that Jesus isn't powerful enough. I mean, come on, the Gospel of Mark has already showed us this is the one who can command the seas to be quiet, who can tread on the oceans, uh, who can heal people from afar, who can raise the dead across town just by a word. He's already, you know, healed plenty of people. He's fed 5,000 people from loaves and fish. It's no lack in Jesus' power. It's also not because, you know, Jesus somehow has sin in his life or that he's somehow disconnected from the Holy Spirit or from God. Now, I will say for us as human beings and as sinners, sometimes that can be the issue. Your prayers can be hindered because of, because of, your, because of a sin in your life. We, that can affect us. Even the apostles were unable to cast out a demon from a boy because their the lack of faith, right? But we don't believe that is at all what's happening here. We also don't think it's maybe the lack of faith in the man. I mean, these people who brought him, they had faith. Hey, Please touch him. We believe you can heal him. So it's not as though there was a lack of faith on their end. So what is it? The text actually, actually isn't 100% clear saying this is, this is exactly why this happened. But I do think there is a purpose because Jesus does nothing by accident. Jesus wasn't trying and failing. Everything he intends to do, he does. He never fails to do what he intends. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And so we believe there is a purpose in this two-stage healing. And I think this healing does seem to serve as an example that sometimes God opens the eyes of people in stages. Not all at once. As I said, not everyone who hears the gospel the first time understands it or believes it or is willing to submit to it. Some people will sit under preaching and hear the gospel their whole life and they'll sit under it every Sunday, and they'll hear it for years and years and years. And they have like an understanding for a little bit, but they're just not at a place where they can believe it. Their eyes are not open to it. Some people, they, they go from blindness of unbelief to like a, a kind of belief, right? Like, you know, I was an atheist. I don't believe God exists. To like, you know what, I do, maybe God does exist. You know, and, and maybe, maybe the Bible is a good book, and like they're kind of getting there in stages. Like there's some hurdles, some obstacles to faith they have to overcome. But, but some people take a while, and God sometimes opens our eyes in stages. So we, go, we go to a place where we go from full blindness, calloused hearts, to an open, full belief, a confident joy and confession that Christ is Savior and Lord. Some people believe things about God, that he exists. They even admire Jesus. They believe. Some people will even say, yeah, he died for sins and he rose from the grave, but it's still like not my Savior, my Lord. There's still some sort of a block there. And so it appears that Jesus removes the blindness of sin in stages as kind of a, uh, a, kind of a picture of how God works. Some, some people, maybe even some of you, are like halfway there. There's things that you really admire about Christianity there's things you admire about Jesus Christ. You, you, you believe that God exists, but you still have some major questions and doubts. When you, when, you, when you hear these stories, when you read these books, there's still a part of your heart that's kind of like, I'm just not sure. 
Jesus says, and in Mark 12, 34, we're going to see him say this later on to someone else, you're not far from the kingdom. So if you're in that place where you're like, I'm, 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 I'm almost there, but I'm not really there yet, don't despair because you may not be very far from the kingdom. It just may mean that God's not done with you yet. It may mean that God has only begun to reveal himself to you, so keep seeking. God does exist, I believe it. I'll say confidently, God exists, that he has spoken, that he wants to be known, and he wants to be known by you. And, I, and I, as I read this book, I believe it's all true. None of it's fabricated, none of it's made up, none of it's just helpful myth. And honestly, I wouldn't be here standing up here talking about this if I didn't believe that. So this does indicate this whole story that, that sometimes the blindness of sin, that the, our, our, our belief comes in stages. But I think I want to encourage you that, you know, not to remain where you're at. Not just to say like, well, I'm just kind of here right now. I'm in a holding pattern of like semi-belief. And this is kind of comfortable for me. I'm going to hang out here. Like that's not what God intends for you. God did not intend, Jesus did not intend for this man to sit with his sight partially healed, believing, walking around, just seeing things fuzzy. That's not God's desire for you either. But that you would see clearly, fully who Jesus is so that you believe in him and give your life to him. So press on. We see this story actually serves as kind of a parallel to the apostles themselves. Oh, namely Peter, right? That, that we're going to see Peter makes a really cool confession here in this next story immediately followed by a great stumbling. <laughs> he doesn't fully quite understand. Jesus, uh, in this, he's, he, after this, this section, he's having a, a walk, a conversation on the road to Caesarea Philippi. And after about, half, we're about halfway through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, the narrative basically gives us a pause and says, hey, we've told you a lot of stories about Jesus. We, we've, we've, we've set up all these miracles and we've, we've, we've showed you the teachings of Jesus. And we're just going to pause and just ask the audience who's reading this book, like, what do you think about all this? So Jesus is walking with the disciples and he asks them that very question. Right? They've witnessed his teaching. They've witnessed his, his, his miracles. They've been with him when he's been with thousands of people. And he asks them, who do people say that I am? Like, like as, you're, as you're walking around talking to your neighbors, your friends, the crowds, like, what's the hubbub? What are they saying? At this time, Jesus is no ordinary man. He's not, I mean, he's doing amazing things. So no doubt, his identity is something people would be speculating about. They, people would have theories, right? They'd have opinions. Because he's an extraordinary figure. So the disciples offer their insights. Well, here's what we're, here's what we're hearing. Some people say John the Baptist, who had been beheaded, he, he died by this time. Or Elijah, or one of the prophets, or one of the prophets of old has returned, Luke 9 says. Matthew 16, the disciples even suggest maybe Jeremiah. All of these, if you don't know, are all dead prophets. They're all Old Testament prophets, except for John the Baptist. You know, they're all Old Testament prophets who did great works, who preached with power, and they were dead. And, and, but people are thinking like, this guy is like one of them. He's just like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Elijah or Jeremiah. He must, he must be one of those guys come back from the dead because this is no ordinary guy. And that's who they say Jesus is. I want to point out that generally at this time, the, the, what people thought of Jesus, they had a high opinion of him. The crowds had a high opinion. At this point, apart from like the Pharisees, like no one's calling him a charlatan. 
among the crowds. They're not, they're not saying that he's, you know, a devil like the Pharisees did. You know, they're not saying, well, he's just a misinformed teacher. You know, they're not, nobody's saying that. The crowds have a generally favorable view of Jesus. You could even say they have a high view of Jesus. But it's still untrue. It's possible to have a really high view of Jesus, to really respect Jesus Christ and still get it wrong. Because the crowds did. Because people still speculate about Jesus today. I mean, I, I would suggest Jesus is such an impactful figure in the history of the world. Like, he has changed world history. that You really can't avoid him. If you're any kind of a great thinker or a philosopher, anybody who really assesses these things has to come to a conclusion about him. Muslims believe that Jesus is a wise teacher, an important prophet, just not as great as Muhammad. Modern Jews believe that he was a rabbi, a teacher, that he was a political revolutionary who was put to death. They do not believe that he was the Messiah. They do not believe that he rose from the dead. Mormons believe that he is the firstborn son of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Father's Heavenly Wife. But he is not eternal. And his brother is Lucifer. Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man. He is a God, but there are literally hundreds of millions of gods within Hinduism. So he's not uniquely God, but seen as rather oftentimes a symbolic rather than historical figure. Buddhism tends to see Jesus as an enlightened one, an enlightened man, a holy man, a wise teacher. All of these are, I would say, well, that's a pretty positive view of Jesus. No one are, are, is saying he's the devil. No one is saying he didn't exist. They all have a high view of him. They just don't go high enough to embrace who he really is. And to fail to embrace who Jesus really is, even if you have a really high view of him, you respect him but you don't embrace who he actually is, that's still a form of rejection of him. It's failing to, to believe who he really is. And so Jesus says to his disciples, okay, that's who the crowd say I am, that's great. Who do you say that I am? Peter is the one who answers for the disciples, as is often the case. He's the, he's the, uh, the guy who's like really quick to speak and give his opinion. Um, and he isn't, it isn't even a question for him. It's just a declaration of faith. It's confidence. He's, he's seen what Jesus can do. He's seen amazing things. He was the one who, when Jesus was walking in water, he's like, hey, can I come out there too? And then he walked out on water. He's experienced this. He's like, you are the Christ of God. You are the, in Matthew's gospel, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Mark, you are the Christ. In Luke's gospel, he says, the Christ of God. And all these things, what he's saying is, you're the Messiah. Kids, if you don't know what that means, we, we say, you know, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, okay? Messiah is a title. It often means anointed one. Here's what I think. This is what I think about all the time because you guys who watch Star Wars and everything else, he's the chosen one. That's how we often think about that today. He is the chosen one, okay? And the old, he's the one of the Old Testament prophesied who would be like King David, who would come and rescue God's people from all their enemies and establish God's kingdom forever. I love this idea of the chosen one. He's the long-awaited hero who would come and rescue the princess and slay the dragon and save the day. Those are still good stories. All right? That's what Jesus is. He's the chosen one. And so, and, and Peter's like, you're that guy. You're the one we've been waiting for. God has sent his king who's going to rule and reign. You're that guy. 
I love that, that, that Peter is so bold in that proclamation. He's seen, his eyes have been opened, right? Like that blind man, his eyes have been opened. He has seen and understood who Jesus is. That's the first step. And now the second step, he's confessing, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Who else could you be? But Jesus asked that question dead center in the middle of Mark. That's a good question for us too. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not, not who do your parents say that Jesus is? Or your wife? Or your husband? Or your friends? Or the people sitting next to you? Who do you say Jesus is? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. I just want to read this because it's a beautiful section. One of my favorite uh, descriptions of Christ. And it's very high language. But I want us to see just how high Scripture thinks of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In short, the Bible says it's all about Jesus. From creation to redemption, all of history, all of God's plan centers on this one man, this God-man, the one Jesus Christ. He cannot just be simply dismissed as a great teacher or a great prophet or a wise man or a political revolutionary or a wonderful figure or someone to base your life off of because he's a good example. That's all great. But is he the son of God sent to save sinners? Is he your savior? The scriptures say that this is who Jesus is and hold anything less than this is to not embrace him as he really is. Peter makes this amazing confession, and I hope that's the confession that you make as well. But Jesus cautions Peter and his disciples at this time not to yet broadcast this knowledge. Because the answer is right, but the time is not right. When this becomes widely known, it'll be the catalyst that will cause the Jewish leaders to bring his execution about. And so Jesus is not yet prepared for that. He still has, he's working towards the day when he can still continue building his disciples, building their faith, teaching them, training them, so he can hand off this gospel ministry to them. But that time is not ready yet, so he has them be quiet about it. But then we have an unexpected plot twist. Because now Jesus, they have this amazing thing. Peter makes this confession, and it's the right confession. You are the Christ. You are the chosen one, the one who's been sent to save the day. God's king who's going to come. And Jesus says, great, now let me tell you what's going to happen to me. And Jesus begins for the first time in Mark's gospel to predict clearly what's going to happen to him. He says, the Son of Man will suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the Jewish leaders, that he is going to be executed but he will rise on the third day. And it says that he told them this plainly. He's not speaking in parables. He's not speaking in riddles. He's not, you know, any of those things. He says, guys, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. All right, as clear as I can. 
Every time he says, he does this three times in the Gospel of Mark, every time the disciples don't know what, what to do with it. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. And Peter, he just made this confession. I know exactly who you are. You are the Christ. You're the chosen one, the king who's going to save the day, who's going to rescue God's people. Jesus is like, you're right, but let me tell you how that's different than you expect. And so, you know, Peter doesn't know what to do with this. He actually pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. There's a biblical word for that. Stupid. I don't... Because he just said that he's the Christ, right? And Jesus and Peter goes to correct the Lord of glory. <laughs> so you, you see that, you know, Peter's eyes are open, but maybe not all the way. There's still things he doesn't understand, still things he doesn't see. So graciously, I'll say that can be the same true for us. We can see who Christ is, but sometimes we still don't fully understand all that he is. We don't see it as we should. And he goes to rebuke him, and you can imagine him saying, Jesus, you can't talk like this, okay? This is not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to overthrow the Romans. You're supposed to rule. The Messiah doesn't die. He certainly doesn't get rejected by the Jewish leaders. They have to embrace you eventually, right? If you're going to lead this nation. He actually goes to correct Jesus. And he has, you know, Peter begins to rebuke him. And I'm going to put this in the best light. I think Peter is motivated by love for Jesus. He is motivated by, by zeal, but not zeal according to knowledge. Peter doesn't fully know who Jesus is yet. So Jesus responds by some of the most terrifying words Jesus ever speaks to any of his disciples. He says, get behind me, Satan. If you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. There's never a time in the Gospels that we can see where Jesus speaks to one of his disciples with such harsh language. He certainly does to his enemies, the Pharisees. You know, when he calls them whitewashed tombs and he says woe to them and he, he calls them many things. Right? But he doesn't speak this hard to any of his disciples. There's times he expresses disappointment like, oh, you have little faith. Come on, guys. But here he speaks firmly. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I think it's important to say Jesus is not rejecting Peter. He's rejecting Peter's way of thinking, which is satanic. And he actually looks not just at Peter, but he looks at all of his disciples here. And he gives this warning that Jesus is predicting that he will go to the cross and he is going to rise from the dead because that is the Messiah's main mission. He's revealing that to them. And they need to understand that he's going to the cross for their sins and yours and mine. And he will raise for their new life. This was Jesus' mission from God, and he would fulfill it. But Jesus doesn't think that that's offensive at this time to Peter. That's not, that's not fitting for what he would like out of his Messiah. That, that's not, you know, when he, when he reads the Old Testament, that's not what he would like to see. It's offensive to him. And let's be honest, sometimes I think we can be like Peter, Christians. Sometimes... You know, you, you may go through the scriptures and you read something that's kind of hard. Something that's maybe, that's maybe even odd or uncomfortable or even offensive to you. God, why, why would you do that? that that's not, uh, God, that doesn't seem very loving. Uh, that doesn't seem very compassionate. God, why would you do things that way? You ever come across that? Stories, maybe in the Old Testament or, or passages that, that seem hard, different than you would expect? Or you would like, and if you were writing the Bible, maybe you would have left that part out. 
It's one thing to have questions. It's, it's one thing to say, God, I pray. <laughs> I don't understand this. I believe. Help my unbelief. Or like Jesus, when he suffered in the garden, he said, if, you know, he's, he's praying, he says, God, if it's possible this cup pass, let it, but, but your will be done. There's times to say, you know, God, I don't understand this, but your will be done. Help me to understand. It's another thing to rebuke God, even in your heart. God, this is unloving. God, this is unwise. God, this is unfair. Do you ever say that? That's not fair. As though God is lacking compassion. As though God needs us to counsel him. As though God needs us to tell him right from wrong. Or say, God, I don't think you considered this factor. I know that I've done that. We can be like Peter sometimes. Where we have a heart that just doesn't quite fully understand the way God's working things. God, I don't feel like the way you're, you're, the things that are coming into my life, the afflictions, the things that I'm suffering right now, the things that my kids are going through or my loved ones, this doesn't seem fair, God. And in our heart, we can very easily get to a place where we're saying, God, you've done something wrong. You're not being compassionate. You're not being loving. You're not caring for me, God. We'd be much wiser if we said, God, I just trust that, you know, you are the Christ and that you are Savior, that you are King and that you are wise and you are good and I'm the one who needs a Savior and I'm a disciple because I'm the one who needs to follow and I'm the one who needs a teacher. So I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you that you've got it figured out, God. We can look at Peter and shake our heads, but man, we need to be careful we don't have that same heart that Peter had. Trust Jesus. That's what it means. Trust Jesus doesn't just mean ask him to forgiveness of your sins. It means you trust that he knows what he's doing, that he has a good plan, that he is in control, that nothing gets by him, that nothing is like, whoops, I didn't mean for that to happen. Even when he healed the blind man, right, and it took two times, that's not an accident. He knows what he's doing. He's worth following. Sometimes that's really what it means to believe and, and trust Jesus. So Jesus rebukes Peter but doesn't reject him because Peter's way of thinking was wrong. But he got his confession right. He's almost there. So this last story, Jesus brings together his disciples and the crowds. And, uh, and he's saying, well, we need to understand something here. Peter, you've got the confession right. You've said the right things. Well, the first part, not the second. But the first part, you got that part right. Yes, I am the Messiah. But it's more than just saying the right things. It's more than just having a list of 10 or 12 or 13 things of doctrine and saying, sure, that sounds right to me. Being a disciple is, is more than just agreeing. It's following. And let me tell you what that's going to mean. He has just revealed to his disciples what it's going to look like for him to be the Messiah, to go to the cross. And now he's going to say, hey, I'm going to suffer many things, but my disciples are as well. He wants them to have eyes wide open to see what this is going to cost. And so he gathers people together and he says, it's going to be three things. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So he says, first of all, to deny himself. And I'm going to say that this is a very hard thing for me. Okay, one of the hardest things is to say no to yourself, right? I love dessert 
after really every meal. But I'm going to say dinner. I'll just pick one. Dinner. Dinner is not complete until I've had a cookie, even if it's just one, or a sweet, something sweet, right? And it's very hard to say no. I, have lo- I love donuts. We had donuts this morning, okay? I'm trying to get fit, and it, the hardest thing to say no to, Lord help me, is donuts. We moved to an office across from Duncan. It's staring at me with its accusing eyes every day. It is hard for us to say no to ourselves. That's a silly way, right? You know, something like that. You know, if we're on a diet, it's hard to say, deny yourself that. Maybe the person where you're like, you know, I have a hard time not making purchases for myself because I like having things. Or, you know, it's hard to deny yourself pleasures. You just like saying yes to yourself, right? Jesus says, you have to learn to deny yourself. Not just deny yourself things, but learn just to say no to yourself overall. And, and I want to point out, what, why is this a big deal? Jesus says the first role of a disciple is to start saying no to yourself. And there's, there's a little implicit truth here. The biggest obstacle to being a disciple of Christ is not the world, it's not the devil, it's you and me. <laughs> I am my own worst enemy in this. It's that if, if I want to be a follower of Christ, I've got to say, Matt, I'm not going to lead myself anymore. I'm not going to be the ruler of my own life anymore. If Jesus is, is Lord and Christ, then Matt Cosman does not get to be. I'm not going to follow my heart. I'm not going to follow my desires, my, my fleshly passions. I'm not, no, no. I have to first say no to myself if I'm going to say yes to Jesus. That's the greatest obstacle. And this is interesting because, notice, that is the complete opposite message that we're hearing today. Where it's, no, 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 say yes to yourself. Deny yourself nothing. Embrace who you are. And don't, and don't let anyone tell you different. Ne- that's the exact opposite message. Christ says, no, deny yourself. And how, what is the extent of that denial? What does that mean? He says, and take up your cross. How far do we go? That's the question. How far do we follow Christ? At what point do you get to say, God, I'm going to follow you with 80% of my life? And it's going to be a good 80%, let me tell you, right? But when it starts getting uncomfortable, when it starts getting hard, at what point is God okay with us saying, all right, I'm ready to get off this bus? That's enough, God. I mean, you've got, you got to give me some space, right? You've got to give me some room that's my own, right? My alone time. My, I have to have my my area, right? That you don't get to have say over God. There is none. How far do you go? Jesus says, as far as I'm going, as far as I went for you to the end of your life. Discipleship is far far more than just Jesus wanting your religious life, right? Lord Jesus, I give you the best two hours I have on a Sunday. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) But other 160, whatever it is, That's mine. That's not what Jesus wants. Imagine if uh, imagine if you were, um, uh, I guess you know, for those who are married, this might not land. But those who are going to get married or engaged or whatever else, you know, imagine you're in premarital counseling and you're you're sitting with someone who's your spouse to be. You know, men, you're you're worth a woman and you you love this woman and you're looking to get married and 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 through the the process of this counseling, this this woman says, "I can't wait to be your wife. I'm going to be faithful." I'm going to be helpful and supportive. I will love you. I'm going, to do, I'm going to be an amazing wife for you Monday through Friday. But I want my weekends. 
because I want to go with my girls to the club, right? I'm not giving up that stuff, right? You know? Ladies, how would you feel on the opposite way, right? Your husband says, I'm going to be an amazing husband, supportive, and all these things, but on the weekends, I, I still want to live like a bachelor. You'd be like, well, that's not going to work, <laughs> right? And there would not be a wedding. It'd be called off. And yet, is it, is it so hard that Jesus would ask his bride to be faithful to him all the way as he is to us? Jesus calls us to be faithful all the way. If Christ suffered so greatly for us, when we're sinners, can we not suffer through trials and hardships, light momentary afflictions for him? Jesus you know, calls us to lay down your whole life, not just part of it, but everything, where you say, Jesus, you can have it all. You gave your life for me so I can have eternal life. I have a short life here on earth. It's not even that long. But God, you can have all of it. My best years, my singlehood, my marriage, my kids, my best years when I'm old, you can have my money. Jesus, you can have my retirement. You can have my entertainment, my social life. It's all yours. I won't give, I'm not going to hold anything back. You can have all of it to the end of my life. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, that's what's going to cost you. And remember, he wants us to see with eyes wide open. And then he says, lastly, follow me. The reason why we say no to ourselves is not because Jesus is just saying, you need to punish yourself, right? Sometimes that's what dieting feels like. You're just punishing yourself. No, I can't eat this thing. You know, I can't do this thing, right? And some religious rituals can be that way. Empty religious rituals can feel like you're just punishing your body, punishing your flesh. He says, no, say no to yourself because there's something better I'm offering you. Me. (laughs) Jesus is much better at leading your life than you are. Much better than any treasure this world can give you. And the pleasures that we love to cling to, the things that we have a hard time saying no to, Jesus says, just, just give those away. They're, they're not lasting anyway. They're not going to bring the satisfaction that your soul thirsts for, but I am living water. I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the light of the world. I am the shepherd and the king of your soul. And I will give you all that your heart desires, that you don't even know you want. And I will give you life eternal, sweet forever. So Jesus is saying, hey, say no to yourself because you're getting something so much better. And so Jesus gives us a couple reasons why. He says, for whoever would save his life here will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is a profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is basically saying, hey, let, let's, let's look at this. Let's, let's, let's step back and look at the big cosmic picture here, right? You can look at your life in two phases. Like right now, this short momentary life you have, it could be 80 years, 90, it could be 50. It could be 60, however long your life is, you do not know. But then there's eternity on the other side, of which this is only a blip. You're going to have to choose which life is more important to you. This age or the age to come. The riches that are, are uncertain and dwindle and, and fall apart and break. My, my van just fell apart yesterday. It didn't fall apart, but it broke. So, And the things we love and cherish and the, and the things that we work so hard for to pay for, they just fall apart and break in this world. Do you, you want to value the, the, this world or the world to come? The treasures where, where no rust or thief or, or, or anything can take it away. 
He says, choose which one is you can put a higher value on. Because even if you're the biggest winner in this life and you get everything, you get everything, but you don't have Christ, you lose it all and your soul. One of my, one of my uh, I don't want to say heroes, that's too strong, but one guy I really like uh, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right? He's like my 80s action hero guy. I, my dad let me watch these movies when I was a kid. He shouldn't have, but he did. And so I just love, I grew up with Arnold, right? And this is a guy who kind of like overcame everything, right? He's, he, he's like a, a bodybuilder and, he, and he's got one, some of the most Mr. Olympias of all time. He became an action movie star. He became a governor. He's done like all these incredible things. And like in the Netflix recently came out with like a story of his life. And, and I, I was listening to uh, an interview with him one time. It wasn't too much long ago. And he's, and he's in his like early mid-70s and he's getting older and, and like, they asked him about like, hey, you know, you're getting older and what do you think about death? And he's like, I'm angry about it. Like he's frustrated that he's going to die someday. He doesn't really believe in God. They asked him, what do you think happens? You just dust. You just go in the ground. Like he, he's done everything in this world. He's got more money than I will ever have, more money than maybe any of us will have. He's had fame. He's had everything. And, and, and what's he going to give in, in return of his soul? I pray he finds Christ. Because even if you gain everything in this world... Jesus says, you've, you've really, you're going to lose it all. What can you, what, what, you can't give all that money away. You can't bargain with God. You can't say, well, God, tell you what. I don't want to follow Jesus, but I'll just try to be kind, like the signs on the highway say. Be kind. I'll just try to do that. Or I'll just try to give money to you know, charitable causes. Or I'll just, you know, I'll just mow my, my lawn and keep, keep the laws and be a good citizen. And, and, I'll, and that'll be what I, what I, you know, when I get to the gates, when I get before you, that's what I'll lay down and say, well, I didn't believe in Jesus, I didn't follow him, I didn't give my life to him, but hey, how about this instead? She says, what will you give in return to your soul? There's nothing you can give in place. And Jesus doesn't want that stuff. He wants you. He gave his life for you so you'd give your life to him. Because Jesus desires a people for his own. And so that is why Jesus calls us on this journey of discipleship. And, he, and, he, and this is a warning here because he says, hey guys, this is not going to be easy, right? It's, it's not just saying the right words and going to church, right? It's following him and giving him your whole life. But guess what? It's worth it. It's so worth it. There's a peace which transcends all understanding, riches that are far greater. I'd rather be poor and have a broken down van and all, all those other things and have Jesus Christ than have all the riches that Arnold Schwarzenegger has. <laughs> Guys, what, what are you willing to, to give up to follow Christ? This is the journey. Jesus opens our eyes to see the truth and then we confess that he truly is Christ. He is Savior and Lord and we follow him all of our days. It's simple, but it's not easy. But Jesus is worth it. I'm going to call the worship team uh, to come up now as we uh, finish up our time this morning and uh, in time of worship. Congregation, I'm going to ask that you pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you make things clear to us. God, that you have told us who you are, that we don't have to search around in the dark. And yet, God, even though you tell us plainly who Jesus is and what you expect of us, and, and Lord, even the riches of glory, even the salvation you offer, and that heaven is there and available for those who believe, Lord, we need you to open our eyes. 
Because, God, we can't see unless you open our eyes. We cannot believe unless you open our heart. God, we cannot follow you unless you grab us by the hand and help us to follow you. Because we're like that blind man who can't find our way to you. Lord God, grab us by the hand and bring us to yourself. Lord, for those who are near to the kingdom but not in it yet, God, would you draw them near. Remove the blindness of sin, the hardness of sin, and bring them to a full understanding and faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who are walking with Jesus, I know that, Lord, it oftentimes it's more like a limp. Lord, and it's a daily struggle to deny ourselves. Lord, help us. Lord, to easily say no to ourselves because we look to Christ and see how glorious and wonderful and powerful and joyful it is to follow him. Lord, help us to have a glimpse of heaven now and be willing to sacrifice it all, to give our whole lives to you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.